you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. When I was in theological college, our uh, pastoral theology professor taught us that signs, symbols, and sacraments really cried out for what he called the interpretive word. Because unless there was some level of, of, of meaning of, of, of words spoken into them, they so easily became kind of hollow or empty symbols or, or sometimes verging on kind of superstitious practices. So tonight I want to do something that I do every couple of years in the fall, which is to use the liturgy to kind of walk through what it is we do, why we do what we do, and what some of it means. We always begin with bells. We ring three different kinds of bells, actually. As everybody's still coming in and when musicians are in place, that great big church bell gets rung. Now, originally, this building, there was supposed to be a bell tower. Uh, it was supposed to be just outside that door. But, but you see, there's an underground creek that runs under the building. And, uh, and when, they, uh, when the engineers looked at it and looked at the projections of, a, of the bell tower, they said, oh, no, there's not going to be a bell tower there. It had been the leaning tower of all saints pretty quickly. So the bell is actually hidden up in the rafters above the choir area. And if you ring it, it's kind of muffled, which is why about 10 years ago, a couple of us managed to climb up through the rafters and hook a, a microphone up there. That's why you hear it through the sound system. And then, after the musicians have sung us through what we call the contemplative song, another bell, that sounding bowl that sits at the back, that's rung to draw us into an even deeper stillness. And then, after the gospel, we sit for about 20 seconds, and then that bell is rung again as the sermon begins. There's one more set of bells. It's when we've sung the holy, 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 the sanctus. And, a, and this little sounding bowl on the side of the table is rung three times. Traditionally, uh, in kind of high church practice, there was sanctus bells rung during the singing of the sanctus or the holy song. Why all these bells? Well, it's actually since about 400 in the Western Christian tradition that bells have been rung. They're rung to call people to prayer or to let them know prayer is happening in the church. They're rung to make a joyful noise. The one on the little one on the table that was rung during the Sanctus is rung to kind of signal and join our singing of that great hymn to the text that it originates in, Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has this strange sort of visionary experience of being lifted into heaven and hearing the song of the angels. And so the bells, the bells kind of, they may bring us to stillness sometimes, but they're also meant to make us joyful. And there's a medieval tradition that the demons don't like the sound of bells. 
just saying. But once we've moved in to the liturgy, it comes in four distinct pieces. We gather. So we gather with singing. We gather with the opening prayer, the collect for purity. We gather with the, the reading of the prayer, the collect for the week. And then we sit. And having gathered, we move into the word. Two readings in our context. The lectionary has three plus a psalm. It's a lot of text. So early on, we made the decision we would just have two and try to really hear them. And then the challenge for the preacher is to try to speak to them in a way that helps people kind of maybe lay hold of them anew. And having done that, having proclaimed that part of the word, then a member of the community comes and they, they go up to, that, to the lectern in the middle of the aisle. And having considered the readings over the course of the week and knowing something of the heart of the community and considering their own heart too, they call us to pray to pray for the church, for the world, for each other, for peace, for those who have no peace. They remember before God those who have died. Sometimes they pray for leaders in the community. Sometimes they pray for other things that happen outside of these walls, ministries and programs we support. That's also a ministry of the Word because they're entrusted with the task of helping us all to hear what we should be attending to and holding before God. And then we confess. We speak to God of that in our own life that's born of sin or of our wounds or of of our struggles, our shortcomings, our failings. The the things that we've done that, you know, really, we really shouldn't have gone there. Or, and this is just as important, the things we've kind of fallen short on doing, you know, The people we can't quite manage to be. You know the old saying, I wish I was the kind of person my dog thought I was? Right? We all know that, ah, so you speak that. And then I'm entrusted as an ordained person in the tradition, but somebody who's also been called into leadership and had that upheld by this community, I'm entrusted to tell you that by the grace of God, that is forgiven and done again. And though we'll probably, inevitably, surely kind of blow it again this week, again and again and again, we're drawn into the light of grace. And so having made peace with our God, we make peace with one another, those around us. It's a symbolic gesture, but you know, if you've got a little bit of friction or pain or or division with the person you're sitting Beside or across from or who's behind you or in front of you, and you actually look them in the eyes at that moment and say, the peace of Christ, it's actually a push to let go of whatever it is that may be causing the rift and the wound and try again for a deeper peace. And then we begin to move towards the third step, the table. And we do that by we set the table. We bring those baskets from the back. We bring the bread of communion from the back along with the agape baskets and the offering. We set out the table. And then we offer the Eucharistic prayer. Now that's, that's ancient stuff. The one that we use is actually based on a second century prayer that has been translated into English and, and brought forward. But all Eucharistic prayers begin with this little dialogue. The Lord be with you. And everybody says? That's a simple 
the greeting between the person who's presiding at the table in the community. And then I say, lift up your hearts. And you say? And sometimes you say it with more gusto than others. And occasionally I like to remind you of that. But we, we say, like we're all doing this, we're lifting our hearts together. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. And you say? Again, sometimes with more gusto than others. Sometimes it's easier to believe. But at that point, rather than, than being in sort of the gestures like this, I actually will bow to you. And that tradition is a recognition that you have entrusted me with the honor and the responsibility of then praying the Eucharistic prayer on your behalf. Now, you may not, not ever have noticed it before, and only tonight will you ever notice it again, but I notice it every week. There's body prayer. Kaylin did this wonderful book on, on body prayer as, during her time as artist in residence. There's body prayer in this liturgy. That's one of them, that kind of gestures and the bow. This is the other one you sometimes see people do. You make a, you cross your body, principally at times when you invoke the Trinity or a blessing or the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some people are totally comfortable with that. Others that, mm, you know, my Anabaptist roots, I can't go there. <laughs> Steve actually tells this wonderful story of doing a concert in Steinbach where uh, he had just been taught sort of the, the Eastern Orthodox pattern around crossing yourself, which is even more, it's got sort of more symbolism loaded into it. But it's, it is, it's an affirmation, ultimately, of, of the triune God with all of my mind and all of my heart and all of my strength. And he explained this, and then he had this congregation of Mennonites in Steinbeck. He says, now try this with me. I believe in the Trinity with all of my mind. They all did this and all of my heart, and they all did this, and all of my strength, and they all did this, and then there's this dead silence, and he looked up. The ceiling didn't fall in, did it? <laughs> it's a comfort thing, but if you feel that kind of to engage your body, that's part of it. Sometimes, too, you'll see a slight, just a slight nod at the name of Jesus. That's pure, purely biblical, you know, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every head shall bend. It's, it's just, again, it's a kind of a symbolic body action that I tend to use. When we come, though, through the Eucharistic prayer and the Lord's prayer and the invitation to communion, and then we begin to come forward. And here that coming forward lands us in that series of circles, which I think is particularly poignant. Because what it means is that as you stand in the circle, if you look across, you see other faces, the people you're breaking bread with. And if you look down at the foot of the table, what you see are the baskets of food for agape. And all of a sudden, the connection between being the people of God in a circle ready to, to eat, to feast on the body and blood of Christ, you see these baskets of food and you go, right, this is all connected. It's all connected. The hunger of the world needs to also find some resonance and some fulfillment in the eating of Eucharist. If we detach them, Eucharist is just symbol, right?
And we use that real bread, Murray Crucial, who's on Mount Athos right now in Greece, has been baking that spelt and honey and good bread for us for years in nice big round pieces, and you get a piece and you actually chew it and taste it. And then with our chalices, and I've told you this before, we drink more communion wine than any other parish in the diocese, perhaps in North America. (laughs) It's partly because we use those bowls, And that's actually an English Reformation principle. English Reformation chalices were enormous because in the Middle Ages, in the medieval Latin church, the people didn't take the wine because what if they spilled Jesus? They only got the bread. The reformers, the English reformers said, no, we have to be offered both the bread and the wine. And if we give people a good big chalice, you cannot take some dainty little barely touch your lips thing. You actually have to taste it. Taste and see it's good. It's got to resemble a meal somehow. Then having dined together on the Supper of the Lord... The last thing that we do, and in many ways it's the most significant thing, Charles Walton, who's a retired priest of the diocese, and uh, his wife is Catherine Langell, who's often here with us. Charles is actually here with us relatively regularly as well. Charles was fond of saying, the most important part of the liturgy is the last thing you do. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. After we've been gathered and heard the word, and shared at the table, we are then sent. That fourth movement is not just a good night. It is actually a commissioning to go into the world. There's another moment, though, of possible commissioning tucked into the heart of this. When we do the readings, we sit as the first reading is read, and then I say, stand as the gospel's proclaimed. We all turn and we face What that actually symbolizes is not just a respect for the gospel, but a readiness. You're meant to hear it on your feet because it should mobilize you into movement. And in fact, the tradition would say, and if you hear something in the gospel that makes you move, that makes you need to go out the doors and do something, put it into action, go with our blessing. So tucked in the middle is this sort of activist moment that says, be ready because we will be sent. A little more, a little later.
2006, the Jenny Moore gave us that song, Pass the Cup Around, to kind of articulate the longing um, and the hopefulness and the, that sort of deep desire to be met and filled and believe and hold faith and feast. It's become kind of a signature way to, to sing about what it is we seek and are open to at this table. There's a fourfold shape to the whole liturgy, gather, word, table, send. There's actually a fourfold shape to the Eucharist itself. And it's pure gospel. It begins with take. It's when the bread is brought forward and placed on the table. Bless the Eucharistic prayer. Break, when I hold that bread up and say to you, this is the body of Christ. Behold what you are. You are the body of Christ. Become what you receive. Become ever more that by sharing together. Words drawn almost directly from St. Augustine. That's break. And then give is the, the giving, the sharing. So take, bless, break, give. In the Gospels, at supper with his friends, Jesus took bread blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. It's the same order, the same sequence happens on the road to Emmaus when he, with those two followers who don't recognize him, they sit down for supper, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened. It's actually the same order that's used at the feeding of the thousands, feeding of the multitude stories. He had them all sit down and he took, the, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and distributed it. And there's a funny little episode near the end of the book of Acts where Paul, in the midst of a storm on a boat with these sailors who are now in a blind panic, tells them not to panic. And he sat down and he took out his bread and he blessed it and he ate it. And they did the same, which was their way of taking it all the way through the story. That's the shape, and it's reflected here every week. Pure gospel. I invite you to stand. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. You lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks and praise, Almighty God, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, your presence. And now, with all creation, we raise our voices to proclaim the glory of your name. Thank you. 
This is the body of Christ. Behold what you are. Become what you receive. Amen. And this is the table not merely of the church, but of Christ. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, whether you have much faith or little, have tried to follow or afraid you've failed, come, because it is his will that those who want to meet him might meet him here. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.